reading from God's Word this morning comes from Acts chapter 2. You can find it printed in your worship folders or in your pew Bibles. The coming of the Holy Spirit or the glory of the Lord at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? This is the word of our God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Louis Zamperini was a U.S. Olympic track athlete, and he ran in the 1936 Olympic Games in Berlin. His event was the 5,000 meters. And even though he didn't win a gold medal at those Olympics, he did set a single-lap track record in the process. After the Olympics, World War II started, and Louis enlisted in the U.S. Air Force and was stationed in the Pacific Theater as a bombardier. On one of the missions that Louis was flying, his plane experienced mechanical difficulties, and they had to make a crash landing in the middle of the Pacific. He, along with two other crewmen, survived the crash, and were able to survive on a lifeboat for 47 days. As if that wasn't bad enough, at the end of those 47 days, they were picked up not by a U.S. fleet, but by the Japanese fleet. They were made prisoners of war. Because of Louis' status as an Olympic athlete, he was beaten and tortured repeatedly over the next two years in three different POW camps. And it was only at the end of the war that he was finally liberated from his ordeal. Now, Louis' story has since been chronicled in a biography titled Unbroken. It's also been made into two movies by that same title. And that title goes to, to speak to Louis' unbroken spirit throughout it all, throughout everything that he went through. And we can kind of see why a, a story like that would be made into film. It captures our hearts, it captures our imaginations. And one of the, one of the scenes in the film really stuck with me. 
It was just before Louis and the other captives find out that they had been liberated and that the U.S. had won the war. The Japanese weren't going to tell them about it, so instead they had them, with their hands above their heads, walk out of the camp with the Japanese rifles at their backs. Then all of a sudden, inexplicably, the Japanese turned around and left. They must have been wondering, what does this mean? What is going on? Then they heard the sound of aircraft flying overhead. Then they saw the U.S. emblem on those aircraft, and they were finally able to put two and two together. They had been rescued. They had been freed. And it was that aircraft that was the missing piece that was able to, to put it all together for them. Can you imagine what that would have been like? What was at first confusing, perplexing, transformed into exuberance, relief, and joy. Seeing that U.S. plane was the missing piece that explained everything. In our reading today from the book of Acts, we hear about another missing piece that explained everything. The glory of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. We also hear about people who were perplexed and confused. No, they weren't POWs, but they were res people who were in Jerusalem at the time, and they still needed that missing piece, just like Louis and those other POWs needed the missing piece to be able to, to make everything make sense. And it was the glory of the Lord that helped to make sense not only of what was happening on that day of Pentecost, but it helped to make sense of the rest of human history. It helped to make sense of what God's plan ultimately was all about. And as we live in a world where so many people are confused and perplexed, wondering what the meaning of life is or what their purpose in life is, they're asking that question, what does this mean? We have to realize that we do have that answer. We do have the answer of what does this all mean? It's an answer for you, it's an answer for me, it's an answer for the world. Because the glory of the Lord at Pentecost explains everything. Now up until this point in this glory of the Lord series, we've been taking a look at events that happen in the Old Testament. Abraham, Moses, Solomon. Now we fast forward 1,000 years. Jesus has already lived. He's already died. He's already rose from the dead. He's even ascended into heaven. Jesus has done everything he needed to do in order to save the world. Now the only thing left was to share it. And that is what happened on Pentecost. The time and the place God chose was Jerusalem. Ten days after Jesus' ascension. And the way he chose to do it was equally amazing. When the disciples were gathered together, God came among them. The glory of the Lord, the sight which had not been seen in over a thousand years, it came in the form of a fire, the, the sound of a violent wind, and then that fire split apart and came to rest upon each one of those disciples, and they were able to speak languages they had never learned before. 
This was not just some made-up event that the disciples said, hey, how can we spread the news about Jesus? We'll tell people that this happened. No, it was a public event. In fact, we hear this. When the God-fearing Jews heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. At first, it was that, that sound of the violent wind that, that drew them together, but then they noticed something else was going on. That They could hear what the disciples were saying in languages that they had learned in their childhood. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Something that stood out at me when I was looking at this is, who were those that asked that question? It wasn't just random people in Jerusalem asking that question. It was God-fearing Jews. It was devout Jews, people who took God and His Word seriously, people who read the Old Testament Scriptures, people who saw in the Old Testament Scriptures God's promise of a Messiah, and even these people did not know what was going on. Even these people were confused. Goes to show that there's something different about knowing what God's word says and believing it. And that missing piece, the missing piece that, that solves everything, is the glory of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. And that's important for us to realize because sometimes as Christians, we have this thought in the back of our head that there's something special about us. There's something special about us that, that somehow we've been the ones that were smart enough to say, you know what, this Bible thing makes sense. And everybody else that doesn't believe that, well, yep, too bad, they just aren't smart enough. And yet that's not the case at all. There's nothing in us that's special. There's nothing in us that, that made us decide to, to follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, to commit our life to him. Paul says this much in the book of Romans, where he actually quotes from the Psalms. Listen to this. There's no one righteous, not even one. No one who understands, no one who seeks God. Even as Christians, we have this part in us that still wants to question God and his ways. We still have this part in us that looks for answers in other places besides God's word. We look for answers that only seem to make sense to us in the moment, and if they don't make sense to us in the moment, then we just disregard them. We have that, that instinctive nature that wants to reject anything coming from God because for some reason we like to think that we're on the same level as God or, or even above him, as if God is the one who needs to answer to us. might seem like a pretty bold claim, and yet we see it all over. We see it in the college student who trusts in the, the knowledge of men more so than the knowledge of God. We see it in the young man who looks at God and church and religion as just a crutch for the weak. He doesn't want to be seen as weak. We see it in the mom who's lost a daughter or son and asks that question, why did you let that happen, God? I wouldn't have let that happen if I were you. We see it in the career-focused dad who after putting 50 or 60 hours a week spends the rest of his time with his family and can't add one more hour to spend in church, saying that God will understand 
But it's not just those types of people. It's me. It's you. I see that in me when my impatience gets the best of me, when dealing with my kids, with other people. I see that when temptation gets the best of me. Even though I know I shouldn't do it, I go ahead and do it anyway, and then even worse than that, I make excuses for why I did it. I see it every time that I open the Bible and I don't marvel at what I read. That I just see reading the Bible as another chore in my busy day, one that I'm quick to put away and seize the next opportunity or forget about it the first sign of trouble. Yes, I think we can all admit that, that there are times when we can look at the Bible or we see things in this world and we say, God, you're doing a really great job. But then how many times do we also look at the world or look at the Bible and disagree with what God says or disagree with the way he, he's handling something? We might pray to God and say, God, please spare me from this particular illness or ailment, but he doesn't. Or we might look at, at like the first lesson from today when Moses, who wasn't allowed to go into the promised land, one of the things that I hear from people a lot is the reason he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land, he disobeyed God once. How dare God keep him away from the promised land for just that one act of disobeying? You may not agree with God, that's what God did. And are we going to reject him because he doesn't act in the way that we want him to act? What is that other than putting ourselves on the same level as God or even putting ourselves above him? As if God has to come to us and verify with us if what he's going to do is going to be okay. But if God acted like us, then God would be acting unfairly. Because as much as we like to, to think that we're fair and that we're just, we're not. There's plenty of decisions we have and, and opinions that we make that, that benefit us more than others. And so if God were to act like us, he'd be acting unfairly. He'd be acting in a partisan manner. Thanks be to God, he doesn't act like us. Because the way we act is not hurting God, hurting ourselves both now and eventually for an eternity in hell if left to our own devices. And yet God does not act like us. God is the one who made us. God is the one who made the heavens and the earth. God is the one who sees the problems in this world much clearer than we even see them. And God knew that, that it was not enough for him to just wave a magic wand and make everybody love each other. Because there would still be the problem of sin lying underneath the surface. The root of sin that still needed to be taken care of and taken care of by a sacrifice. And it was a sacrifice that God was willing to make. A sacrifice for my sins and for your sins. A sacrifice for everyone's sins. Sacrifice that opens the door to heaven for everyone. And God acted selflessly for every time we've acted selfishly. He acted in love 
every time we acted in hate. God died so that we might live. And these are the wonders of God that those Jews in Jerusalem were hearing about on that first Pentecost. These are the wonders of God that we get to hear about every single time we come to church. This wonder of God, whether we see it as a wonder or not, this glory of the Lord explains everything. It is the missing piece that helps to explain why the world is the way it is today. We might wonder, God, where are you when all these problems go on in the world? But we know where God was. By the Holy Spirit, we know that God was there fixing all of those problems 2,000 years ago when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And because of that, we don't have to worry about these smaller problems that go around in our world today because he's taking care of the bigger problem. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the power not only to know what that says, but to believe what it says as well. Knowing this, how can we not help but marvel at the wonders of God? How can we not help but share those wonders with the friends and family around us? How can we not help but tell others about the life that God has prepared for them, the better life, the better way to live? How can we not help but live that better way of life as an example to others? Now, the story of Louis Zamperini doesn't end after he was liberated from that POW camp. Really, that was only the beginning. Like so many other soldiers, Louis suffered from PTSD and would often wake up in the middle of the night with nightmares about his experiences in Japan. But then Louis became a Christian. And Louis began to understand the love and the forgiveness of God. And he was able to forgive his Japanese captors. Even going so far as to going back over to Japan to forgive them personally. Now, as great as Louis's life story was as a POW, this is far more significant and life-changing. For over two years, Louis went through hell on earth as a POW, all that time begging God to save him. And eventually, God did. But not only physically. God saved him spiritually, too. The same is true for us. No matter how bad your life gets, no matter how much you have gone through, you are going through, or you will go through, you can be sure that God is with you and that God loves you. And proof of that? The glory of the Lord. Put faith in your heart. To believe the wonders of God. A God who loved you so much that He sent His Son for you. This is the missing piece that gets us through this life and on to the next. Amen. Now may he who began a good work in you carry it out to completion in the day of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This time.